0: Love Talk Radio.
1: BDPAI Radio, linking business, education, and technology. The BDPAI Radio show creates a vibrant communications platform that speaks to all BDPA stakeholders. Hosted by Fran McNeil. Technical advice by John Melanson. Sponsored by the BDPA Education and Technology Foundation. BDPAI Radio, linking business, education, and technology. Well, welcome to the BDPA
0: iRadio show. I'm Fran McNeil, and tonight is Sunday, August 28th. We have a special edition show featuring some of the 2011 National Conference presenters. Tonight, we'll have three guests, and I'm very excited to introduce them to you. Our first guest is Jim Z- Bay cleapscale and he is with the BDPA Atlanta Chapter, He works with HP Enterprise Services, and he is a Capabilities and Program Manager. Our second guest is Edward Clark, Jr. He is with the BDPA Chicago chapter. He works for Microsoft, and he is an Enterprise Architect. And our third guest for the evening is Michael Davis. He is with the BDPA Atlanta chapter and he is with Macquarium Intelligent Communications, where he is a director. We're going to have a great show tonight. You're going to hear a little bit about the presenters, their actual topic that they presented at the National Conference in Chicago, and you'll hear why and how they chose BDPA and how they're involved. We're going to get started in a few moments. Up next is a brief commercial break featuring the BDPA Education and Technology Foundation.
1: The BDPA Education and Technology Foundation, a nonprofit organization that exists for the sole purpose of funding BDPA programs, scholarships, and services around the nation. Follow us on Facebook, www.facebook.com forward slash BDPA Foundation, or Twitter, www.twitter.com forward slash BDPA.
0: Well, welcome. Jambi. thank you for joining us on the show this evening. I know it's a weekend evening, and I really appreciate you taking the time out of your schedule. How are you tonight?
2: I'm doing fine, and let me thank you for having me on the show, Fran.
0: It is really my pleasure. I want to introduce you to the audience with a very brief bio, and I wanted the audience to know that... For more than 30 years in the information technology industry, Bay has demonstrated success in leadership, and he's progressed from hands-on network engineering roles to regional and executive management. His current position is capabilities and program manager with HP Enterprise Services, transformational consulting, and he works in the data center, DCM, and Infrastructure Modernization, IMOD. Welcome again, Jambay.
2: Thank you again. Pleasure.
0: Oh, sure. Now, one of the questions I often ask the guests to the BDPA iRadio is how did you initially find out about BDPA? And I was hoping that you could share a brief story about your discovery of BDPA.
2: Um, The discovery of BDPA goes back to probably about eight years ago uh, working uh, at that time in EDS and um, as you know EDS was eventually purchased by HP but back in the EDS days we had uh, several leaders that were part of BDPA and um, one year they invited us to get involved and uh I got involved and attended my first conference uh in Detroit in uh 2006 and since then I've been trying to uh, attend uh the conference every year
0: Great now when you attend the conference what is your role how are you participating typically
2: well, it's interesting that you asked that because that role has changed uh, each year and it finally uh, led to me deciding to present a workshop, uh, you know, two years ago. But initially in Detroit in 2006, we were helping uh, establish a career uh, recruitment uh, booth uh, in the uh, Career Expo. Uh, in Detroit. So we, uh, we got some of our HR recruiters and worked with them and got the booth set up and actually spent some time in the booth uh, with folks doing interviews and telling them about the company. Uh, successive years, we had actually, as part of our employee resource group in EDS called UIA, had began a relationship with BDPA. So at each conference, we ended up meeting with the BDPA uh, president uh, and president-elect. So the role changed a little bit there. Uh, and then as time went on and, um, as I said, I've decided to do a, a workshop, uh, I started planning and became a workshop presenter. And the last role that I played, uh, Fran, has been to help with the HP team in the last uh three years Uh, HP has been a strong supporter of the BDPA conference, and I've been helping the uh, HP team as they plan to provide uh, laptops and computers for the HCC, the HSCC competition, as well as the Internet Cafe and registration. So that's sort of like the fourth role that I've played. So a multiple of roles in the uh, conferences I've attended.
0: Well, you know... It's really fascinating to hear your story, and the conference is such a peak experience for BDPA members, young and old. A few nights ago, we actually heard that at the Youth Technology Conference, there was a sixth grader that was part of the conference. So, BDPA really does go from the classroom to the boardroom, and HP's sponsorship role is really critical. People do depend on the leadership, the resources, and all the individuals that your team brings. So thank you again for doing that. Now, let's it's talk our a pleasure. Little bit, oh, let, let's talk a little bit about your workshop. I know that this year your title the title of your workshop was The Value of the Cloud in the Business Technology Ecology. And so first tell me, how did you come up with that title? And what was the essence of the workshop, if you had to give a brief description? Well,
2: actually, the title was developed within HP uh, years ago. And uh, a friend in New York a few years ago asked me to join a technology conference he was sponsoring and represent HP and I reached out to our marketing folks for cloud at that time, and and there was a set of collateral they had around the concept of understanding how this cloud uh, buzzword and this cloud service delivery was part of the broader business technology uh, ecosystem. And uh, so I just took that title uh, and I used it and gave the uh, workshop for the first time, and found that uh, I enjoyed the the topic. And being in technology for the years that I have, um, I've always been excited by the place a new trend, a new technology, a new feature plays in IT and IT service portfolio. So um, the value of the cloud in the business technology ecosystem had a a resonance that it seemed to play across uh, multiple audiences. So that's why I've kept that title uh, every time I've given the the workshop.
0: It it is an intriguing title, and and since everyone is now talking green, the ecology part uh, sort of caught my eye as well. Now, you know, the workshop was designed For any of the BDPA members to attend. And it really ran in a particular track. And I wondered if you would share with us sort of what are some of the key points that you presented in the workshop. And as you're going through the points, identify for us why those are relevant for BDPA members. And I'm just you know, going to sort of give you some time to talk about that because this is an opportunity for our audience, not so much to be at your workshop, but but to get a taste of what it was like and perhaps they'll contact you later or bring you to their chapter.
2: Sure. Uh, I'd be glad to follow up on any uh, requests like that, but let me just answer your question by saying what I expected uh the workshop participants to get out of the workshop was actually their own answer to the question, what is the value of the cloud in the business technology ecosystem? Um, And laying that title out and answering that question um, gives everyone some key takeaways first by understanding what the cloud is and secondly, by understanding that the cloud plays a part, Uh, just like all these new technologies that uh, have developed over the years and we've all been fascinated with. um, Ultimately, they find their role in service delivery, and the same is true with cloud services. So I kind of expected my workshop participants Uh, to get an answer to the questions. First, what's new about the cloud? Um, Some people will say uh, that they've been doing cloud-type stuff for 10, 15 years or more. Others will say that, no, there are clearly some aspects to the cloud that are brand new, like elasticity and um, the way you can buy your services by the drink instead of by the bottle, per se. But I think that that is one of the things that people will get out of this, is that what's new about the cloud? I think they also uh, will get an understanding of what problems does it help uniquely solve. And what I try to do is not only give the answer to those questions from an HP perspective as well as from a broader uh, industry perspective But I always try to ensure that we at least cover the basics of what cloud is about, right, because you know that your audience is going to be uh, at a mixed level in terms of knowledge and experience and use of cloud services. So you have to at least give the basics, but you have to make it interesting enough for the people that are delivering the cloud services will get something out of it. So I always start with an overview. Uh, that that gives some basic definitions uh, about some of the ways cloud services are delivered uh, in infrastructure as a service, platform as a service, and software as a service, and then we talk about some of the well-known providers in the industry that deliver uh, those services. Um, and and after we give you that overview then we break down two of the more common methods of delivering cloud services which is public and private and when we talk about the public cloud um there's the big names that everybody knows with uh Amazon web services as well as salesforce uh dot com and uh and then we spend some time talking about um private cloud services and um some of the ways that uh, IT service portfolios can help their businesses uh, receive cloud services securely from their own premises. And um, after we talk about that, we, we, we spend some time, Fran, talking about the way IT delivers services. And we take them from the traditional dedicated model into the shared model, where they're sharing resources and, and sharing um services as well. And uh after we do that, one of the things I did new this year uh was to put in a a breakout exercise that helped the participants come up with a cloud strategy. Um of course in a fifteen minute exercise in a workshop uh is insufficient to come up with a true implementable strategy, but it gave the participants the understanding of what it. What are some of the factors that go into a cloud strategy. So they had to make determinations about what types of workloads did they want to move into the cloud, and then they had to determine whether they wanted to give it uh, in a public or private, and then they had to determine if it's going to be off-premise or on-premise, and then they have to determine and what will be the benefits of it. Is it because you want it to be stable? Is it because you're expecting uh, savings? Uh, is it because you expect it to be elastic and very uh, responsive? Or is it a combination of those? And I found that when we gave that exercise and paired uh, participants off, Fran, that they were able to spend some good time Thinking about how you would develop a cloud strategy. And at the end of the workshop, we always ask the question again what is the value of cloud in the business technology ecosystem, and what does it mean to you? So I think that gives you a little overview of the workshop, Fran.
0: It it really does, Jeremy. And, you know, as you were speaking, the structure of what's new, what are some of the problems, how is it delivered, and then giving the participants an opportunity to think through the strategy with a partner and truly have a takeaway that they can go back in their office and begin that discussion. And it's very powerful. So they were really working. (laughs) It was a workshop, not just uh, a one-way training session. Um, Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Given that this is your work, um, what motivates you to do this in a sense on your professional kind of non, non, I won't say personal time, but what motivates you to do this, say, at conferences and at uh, professional meetings? Because it, it sounds like it's a work responsibility, but it's also something that you do at other times during the day yeah
2: that's correct I guess I'm very fortunate in that I began to speak about a topic that I was passionate about even before it became a work responsibility and I'm sure that it's part of the reason uh, I was selected for my current role and have played a key part uh, in delivering cloud services for my organization Um, as I said earlier uh, I've always been interested in emerging technologies and the role uh, that they play uh, in IT. Uh, before that, uh, in at BDPA New York, I gave a presentation on voice over IP when it was really hot, you know. But, you know, there is a Gardner hype cycle that tells you how uh, popular they are and, and over a period of time they mature and become embedded in our services. So I'm still psyched and very um, passionate about cloud because it's very new. I also think that cloud is, I always tell people, it's like what Quincy Jones said about rap music uh, when it first came out. Quincy Jones said rap music is here to stay. Well, I'm here to tell you that cloud services is here to stay. I think that there's some technologies that come and they're supposed to change the world and they kind of fizzle out. But I think that the way we deliver services, there are certain aspects of cloud that will always be with IT organizations and the way they deliver services to the business. And the key reason is the elasticity. Everything today is instant. And one of the phrases HP has been so smart to use is the instant on enterprise. Because, you know, all of the young folks today, are are tweeting and texting, and they get information instantaneously. iRadio is even an example of that. And I think that cloud is going to be part of that infrastructure as we go forward. So, yes, uh, you're right. Because of that, I have a lot of passion about cloud, and I've been fortunate enough that my passion about cloud has become part of my work responsibilities as well.
0: Wow. Well, Day, I really appreciate you taking some time out this evening to share your knowledge, to share your passion. I think our listeners have gotten just a taste. I I love that reference to Quincy Jones. They've gotten just a taste of, of what is here to stay, and what's wonderful is you are a part of the BDPA family, you're um, a member of the Atlanta chapter. And I did want to mention to our listening audience that you're also within HP um, the chair of the Black Employee Leadership Council. And I'd love to have you back on the show at another time to talk a little bit about that role and the leadership responsibilities. What that means for employees within HP, how that connects to your general philosophy of customer service, and to a certain extent, how it helps differentiate HP as a leader within the business community. Again, I want to thank you for being with us and give you one opportunity, an opportunity to leave the audience with one final thought.
2: Yeah, um, the final thought that I would like to to leave the audience with is the fact is cloud is here to stay, uh, and it is going to be a part of the way we do business going forward. And thank you for that, my closing thought, and um, it was a pleasure being here with you.
0: Oh, thank you, Jen. have a great evening and the start of a wonderful week. I think Hurricane Irene has run her course, so we're looking forward to bright, sunny skies, um, uh, of course, under the HP cloud. So thanks for joining <laughs> us. <laughs> okay, thank
2: you. Bye-bye.
0: Sure, bye. So, Everaldo is going to now activate the microphone of Edward Clark, Jr. Good evening. Good evening. Thanks, Edward. So, I want to share with the audience a little bit about your background, and thank you for joining us tonight. Edward Clark, Jr., oh, you're welcome. Edward Clark, Jr. has over 25 years' experience with building and consulting technology organizations that solve fortune 50 companies business needs he has expertise in managing e-businesses and operational support high performance teams using repeatable processes and procedures he also has proven success authoring strategic organizational and technical support best practices edward welcome to our show i know that you're joining us tonight from Chicago, and you're a member of the Chicago BDPA chapter. We'll talk a little bit more about your workshop topic, and I wondered if you could share with us how you originally got involved in BDPA and whether or not it was in Chicago or another city.
3: I got involved in BDPA in the early 90s, specifically around 1992. Uh, I actually was invited to be a part of the BDPA corporate advisory committee that was pretty strong at Allstate Insurance Company, uh, where my mentor uh, was a young lady named Robin Richmond. Unfortunately, Robin passed a year ago, but uh, she was the impetus for me joining uh, the BDPA chapter. Uh, As a matter of fact, there was a, a very strong lineup of individuals, including... Uh the current past president, Yvette Graham was a part of uh that all state b d p a chapter so I had very strong mentorship and very strong collaboration from uh members who are very passionate about b d p a as well as i
1: mm. oh that's that's
0: wonderful you know so many people have once they get involved in b d p a they find different ways to maintain that involvement and heighten that involvement. And it's really, I think, a a testament to the leadership within BDPA, the corporate support, and um, the developmental opportunities that BDPA offers. Now, you shared with me through email that your current role with Microsoft is as an enterprise architect And that when you did your workshop at this last conference, the topic was SharePoint 2010 Enterprise Collaboration. And I was hoping that you would, again, give our BDPA audience, just as Jan did, a little background in terms of why you chose that topic. And... Why that particular topic would be relevant for BDPA members who had attended the conference?
3: Well, thank you. Uh, well, I am uh, generally a speaker. I've spoken at the uh, BDPA conference at least the last three out of five times, and I typically select a topic, a hot topic of interest is in the technology industry. Uh, for example, years ago, ITIL. Uh, best practices uh were uh very very uh popular and a couple of years ago enterprise architecture as a delivery mechanism was uh, very popular and this year you know i felt or anticipated that uh SharePoint uh 2010 uh which is a microsoft uh a pretty popular product uh would be one of interest and uh, sure enough uh, it actually was it was selected to be uh, uh on the uh agenda so I felt that uh, giving the audience a, a good overview of what SharePoint 2010 is in the environment, uh, how it's uh, typically utilized and positioned, how it's it's usually governed, and I also provided uh, a demo of some of the capabilities of the product. I felt that uh, having the BDPA audience hear from uh, directly from Microsoft uh, what uh, SharePoint 2010 is all about and how it can uh, help with uh, Business productivity in the enterprise was uh, something of interest, I felt.
1: Mm.
0: Well, it definitely is a topic of interest. And while we don't have the luxury, at least right now on the radio, of showing a PowerPoint, and we may at some point actually do some webinars, um, Mm -hmm. I'd love for you to sort of begin to walk people through some of the key points that you shared, and I see here in your notes that you talked a little bit about the SharePoint wheel, and I was intrigued about that, and so that our listeners could, very similar to what GenVe did, get an idea of some of the takeaways and be thinking about how they might Uh, Have you come and speak at their chapter or have a Microsoft representative come and speak at their chapter perhaps for a program meeting, as well as be in a position to do more research and perhaps, you know, talk with their IT team back at work. So I'm going to turn the mic over to you, Edward, to in a sense give us uh, some of the highlights of your
3: workshop. So uh, what we talked about was the SharePoint in terms of the feature set and the capabilities, and I described it as the SharePoint wheel. And since I don't have a PowerPoint uh, in front of me or in front of you all, uh, just uh, when you get an opportunity, go to www.microsoft.com and do a search on SharePoint wheel, and you'll see the actual wheel itself. And if you think clockwise, at the top of the, the wheel, it's all about collaboration. In the IT space and in and, and the travels that I, as an enterprise architect, I typically find organizations that are focused on how can I improve uh, employee productivity, which uh, results in business productivity, which results in meeting uh, in organizations or an enterprise's investment objectives, uh, whether that's to uh, raise their ROI. Uh, whether that is to expand businesses, uh, et cetera. but collaboration, which which means how you're sharing documents, tasks, calendars, uh, you may have wikis or blogs in your organizations, how you're integrating email, how you're performing project management, uh, how are you doing your messaging systems, uh, integration with your uh, sharing of documents and tasks, etc. how you're doing offline, documentation in terms of uh, you know being in a uh, foreign country with uh, slow bandwidth and how can I collaborate effectively with my colleague across the world who is on a fast bandwidth, and uh, we both can do it seamlessly. So at the top of the wheel is collaboration. Uh, if I were to move clockwise in the actual 2 o'clock position, there's portals uh, where uh, this is a a mainstay of, of enterprise organizations, uh, typically the most governed part of the SharePoint wheel, and how do you have a, a SharePoint site as a possible intranet site? Uh, how do you do directory management? Uh, how do you govern my sites uh, where individuals may portray knowledge and uh, actually have a internal resume, if you will, of the knowledge, skills, and abilities that they have? So it's the... the is the center, uh, portals are, the center of social networking and, and how you can control that. So moving uh, to the four o'clock position, it's, it's search, and which is a really uh, popular product. So you have all of this vast amount of data, all of these uh, Word document, Excel, PowerPoint documents, um, et cetera. How do I search effectively across those documents and 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 obtain the actual document that I'm looking for through a keyword search. Uh, Now that we have metadata tagging, you have the surgical ability to search on what you're exactly trying to uh, obtain. And then content management would be at the 6 o'clock position, uh, if you're following pictorially along with me, if you will, uh, where you have integrated document management, records management. uh, Retention policies can be enforced uh, through those, Uh, record management policies. Uh, How do you manage web content management and workflows? Uh, And then as you move to the 8 o'clock position is business processes. That's where you get into a lot of uh, a popular subject in the industry today is data, business uh, intelligence, and how do you manage this data? How do you manage it quickly and have the ability to be agile and and precise about how are you managing uh, business intelligence data? could be through forms or it could be a, through a line of business application or what we affectionately call a LOB application. And, and finally, uh, it's, it's all around, again, business uh, intelligence in terms of how you are managing more robust applications. The Excel spreadsheet is a very popular tool in the environment and how that data can be integrated and manipulated and shared across the industry using dashboards and having the ability to provide executive uh, key performance indicator data or with critical success factors uh, allocated to it. So in a nutshell, we went through all of those aspects of the wheel and discussed and, and had a and a session around them. So I hope that helps.
0: Oh, that's very helpful. and. I even though I could go ahead and click on www.microsoft.com, I didn't. I really listened and took some notes and created um, the clock or the wheel, and you know it made sense. So I I appreciate you walking us through that. Now in the Q and A, which is always very valuable. What were some of the questions, and we don't have time for you to answer them all, but what were some of the questions as people sort of took the information that you shared and began to play it against uh, some of the challenges that they were having in their business or at their work or with their organization?
3: Well, one of the most uh, popular questions around SharePoint, uh, and SharePoint 2010 specifically, is, always typically around governance. Uh, SharePoint uh, arrived uh, a few years ago, uh, and it, it was something that was easily implemented in the organization, and in some cases non-IT people um, could essentially uh, have enterprise content management and, and stand up a site without the use of or the support of uh, IT, per se, and it went viral. And now IT has caught up to that, and now they are trying to control it. And a lot of the questions that uh, come forth is now that it's out there, the customers like it, the client likes it, We want, they have many ideas of how they want to manipulate it. It's so popular. However, we need to control it, not only from a, a governance standpoint of policies and procedures around SharePoint and, and managing it and managing the workflows, but also around the – the costs that are associated with it in terms of this data needs to be stored and it needs to be backed up and it needs to be able to be archived. Uh, so all of those are uh, costs. There are costs associated with those. So the most popular question has always been around governance, and, and the aspects of governance that I helped to uh, describe to the audience was, is always around people, process, technology, and policies and, and how uh, we can apply governance to those people process and technologies uh, I'll stop there and if there's any other questions you may want to ask
0: no what this is really a treat. I mean, who would have thought on a Sunday evening you know one could get technical information um through the internet through the phone and have it be really it's It's interesting, it's connected to business, it's extremely relevant, and one of the things that I'm hearing from both you and Janbe is passion. And so my question to you is, why are you so passionate about this topic?
3: Well, I'm I'm passionate about not only SharePoint um, in terms of uh, using, using it as a tool to improve productivity, but I'm, I'm passionate about uh, technology in general. Like as I mentioned, I'm a Microsoft architect, uh, enterprise architect. So what what I do typically is not to focus just on SharePoint, but I focus on um, the, the the bigger aspects of IT. You know, infrastructure optimization, business productivity optimization, governance of such. So I have breadth across the IT industry. But I find that most of my clients that I end up working with want to start a focus around SharePoint. Uh, In in some cases, how do I control it? Uh, And then how do I use SharePoint to uh, manipulate a better end to my organization? For example, I was just recently speaking to a CIO of a Fortune 50 company, and, and SharePoint was a highlight for him. And the highlight for him was that, hey, I was able to take this collaboration tool, I was able to put it in the hands of my top most senior uh, scientists, uh, my most patented scientists, and I was able to have them collaborate in terms of uh, a problem statement on a compound, if you will, and how I could improve that compound for a better product. And that was done through that collaboration effort, and, and SharePoint was the impetus of that, and it was able to actually create a new a drug, if you will, for the industry that has now brought in additional income for this organization. So how do you take collaboration and make it into a business initiative, and then how does it affect the business? So I'm passionate about how do you take technology and align it to the business. Uh, Technology drives business, and business drives technology. So it's a win-win for all.
0: It it is, and in in some senses, and I I thank you, Edward, again, for uh, giving us the insight, the business drives technology, technology drives business. Um, In some sense, I think that whole concept is also at the core of BDPA when we think about the opportunity to help people go from the classroom to the boardroom, and when I reflect back on my interview even with Yvette Graham um, a few days ago, and the essence of BDPA is volunteerism, which is all about collaboration between the members, between the sponsors, between the chapters, the regions, of the community, and using technical information. Technical opportunities um, to bring people together to help them advance their own personal and professional competence and competence, and also to help them become leaders within their organizations. So it's, it's exciting to have you as a representative of Microsoft and you as an enterprise architect to bring your perspective and to share some highlights of of your workshop. So I am hoping that members will follow up with you um, and follow up on the suggestion to take a look at www.microsoft.com and search on SharePoint and learn a little bit more about the product, as well as reach out to you in the Chicago chapter um, and certainly look for you next year at the conference. So thank you, Edward. I I hope that you have... Uh, a great evening and a wonderful week, uh, full of collaboration and um, on an enterprise level, um, whether well, it's within you. your community or your organization. Thank you.
3: Yes, very fortunate We're, to be tonight <laughs> as well.
0: Oh, yes, this, this is wonderful. that you. It, it, Yes, you know, who would have thought as the winds clear? and uh, the skies brighten. bright, um, really, we, we have an opportunity to see what technology is right at our fingertips and how we can all stay connected, um, and, and it's really wonderful. So thanks again for being with us tonight.
3: you welcome. Thank you for
0: having me. Oh, thank you. We're going to take a brief break to hear a small promotion about BDPA, and when we come back, We'll be talking with our final guest, Michael Davis.
2: BDPA is the premier organization for people of African-American descent in the information technology industry. BDPA exists to advance the careers of African-Americans in the IT industry from the classroom to the boardroom. You can find BDPA on group site, Twitter and Facebook.
0: Well, welcome back. And our final guest is Michael Davis. Michael is the director of Macquarium Intelligent Communications. And Michael is a member of the Atlanta BDPA chapter. Welcome, Michael, to the BDPA iRadio Show. How are you tonight?
4: I'm very well. Thank you. very well, Fran. Thank you for having me.
0: Oh, thank you. Again, I know that it's a Sunday evening and I really appreciate that you're able to take some time out of your schedule. I wanted to share a a brief snapshot of your bio uh, with the audience and let them know that you're an accomplished management consultant with more than 20 years of experience of international and cross-industry experience helping C-level executives, and I love this part, transform big-picture thinking into solutions that generate new business value. Now, I had a chance to go on your website and I was really just fascinated with how it was laid out, some of the case studies, and um, really the way that your organization approaches business. And so I wanted to, before I kind of got too far into the interview, I wanted to ask you a question that I asked um, Edward and Jan Bay, and that is, how did you get involved in BDPA initially? And what sorts of roles have you had within the organization?
4: Well, uh, initially I was involved with BDA probably going back 10 or 15 years ago when I relocated to Atlanta from um, Connecticut. And when I came down in um, 94, um really was about networking. Um, at that time, um, I was working for Compaq Computer Um, as a professional services consultant, and it was a great way to connect in a new community and meet professional thought leaders who happen to be African American.
0: And so you have been in the Atlanta chapter then for um, the last 10 or 15 years, and I know that this year you were a presenter. Have you been a presenter before? Have you had other leadership roles as you transitioned from Compaq to some of the other organizations that you've worked with
4: well i have always I've always been um a member, sometimes um, an active member uh sometimes a less active member because for a period of time. Um, I was working internationally and probably flying 200,000 miles a year in C2A on Delta. Um, so this year was the second year I've spoken um, at the national conference. Um, I spoke last year on another topic, and I was really thrilled that they invited me to come back and and speak on um, a new topic, something I'd be passionate about, but also something um, that I thought would have a lot of value for the participants in the conference in Chicago.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, let's get right into that, Michael, because your title, and I I know that when workshops are being selected, the title is is the headline, it's the attractor. Your title was really very captivating, and it was creating business value through user experience, and it was part of the enterprise technology and trends uh, track at the conference. So one of my questions was, in creating the workshop, what were some of your thoughts on how it might be relevant to BDPA members?
4: Sure, and and, and that's a great question. You know, one of the things that that I, I find, from a thought leadership perspective, that's really really crucial is when when there are um, game changing disciplines or concepts that really are technology agnostic, like user experience, that anyone could apply to whatever they do, we really should go out of our way and bring that thought leadership. Because often as technologists, um, we, we develop, if you will, a technology religion or a technology preference. So if we're one vendor, we tend to look through that lens, right? So if, if we work with SAP every day, we think through the SAP lens or the Microsoft lens. But the, the user experience and that orientation, um, much like it's alluded to in the uh, Pine and Gilmer books from a number of years ago, The Experience Economy, is something that, that we can use um, in any aspect of the business, but particularly as technologists, you know, the value of technology really gets gets down to its adoption and use. And we spend hundreds of millions of dollars each year developing applications, deploying applications and we find out that the intended user um, doesn't like the application, doesn't use the application, and then we spend all this money, time, and effort trying to make it work. Further in technology, we know from Gardner's studies that every year probably 70% of the IT projects are failures. And if you really do a Pareto analysis and you examine the, the common thread or the, common, the largest cause of why those projects fail... At the heart of it's the user. In user experience, my hope was if, if I could bring this out, no matter what the roles are, people would understand the value of the user, the value in having that orientation. So if you bring that orientation to the very beginning before you start your design process, whether it's something you're doing for an employee experience like with SharePoint behind the firewall, it's, a, it's an externally facing website, or it's an e-commerce application, Having that user orientation in mind and insights of how they think, how they behave, will ultimately put you in a position to have an application they find useful, they find usable, and they find desirable, and you'll have those high levels of adoption we sometimes don't have as technologists deploying applications.
0: Hmm. Now, (laughs) I This has been a great lineup tonight, and again, I hear this passion, and, you know, when you were submitting some information for the interview, you wrote that the user experience is the secret sauce for improving the success rate for application deployment of either Internet or intranet applications. And the secret sauce, I, I, it made me almost uh, think of one of our one of the BEPA uh, sponsors, and I won't name them, but it made me think of one of them. And I wondered if you could, just as um, the previous presenters have done, if you could go through a little bit of your workshop highlighting, you know, one or two points that are takeaways.
4: Certainly, certainly. Well, let me let me just get to what the reference secret sauce is about. So, you know, as, as technologists, you know, we're highly educated, we're highly experienced, and we're great problem solvers. But what comes with that also, I think, is a lot of confidence that we know what people want and how they want it. Unfortunately, IT folks and the users don't always think the same way. And so in a traditional way that we deploy applications, if you think of um, – Um, Stools, stools, yeah, stools, legs. Um, You have an example where you have one stool leg maybe technology, and one maybe business. And if we think about things traditionally, the way we look at that is well, um, we we have we have business directives, we have um, technology objectives, and then we, we merge those two together, and we use technology as an enabler. And there we've been able to deploy an application that has the ability to solve those problems, right? So you've got business directives, functional requirements, and technical parameters. But what we've done is we've deployed something, and we've deployed it without any orientation of who the intended user is or what they want. And by the secret sauce reference, I was talking about adding that third leg to the stool. So you've got technology there as an enabler. You've got business there for why we're doing this but you've also added as an equal leg to the stool of the user, and through doing some degree of user research, you can integrate the mental models, the preferences, the user patterns, um, as well as behaviors. So you're really, before you start designing the application, you're creating something that's useful, which is, of course, informed by business goals. It's usable, but it's centered around the user's needs, and it's, it's desirable because what you've been able now to do is create meaningful interactions. So I'll give you a simple example in our everyday life. If you think about your traditional Windows platform, and you want to say, and Windows is currently running, and you want to shut Windows down, um, what button do you hit on Windows? You actually hit the start button. So if you think Mm -hmm. about it, we've grown with those who use Windows platforms. You hit the start button to actually turn off, restart, or standby. Does that make any sense, Fran?
0: Now I want to be sensitive to our sponsors um, and I understand where you're going so I'll be the participant and shake my head.
4: <laughs> so I, I but but I what I'm saying is that from a usability perspective there's many degrees of usability. And the the first rule of usability is don't make the user think. So what that means is that the average user without any thought can come to something and without any thought know what's intended and know how how to operate. And and I'll use a similar example if we go to the gas pump, which is perhaps a more generic example. And we're going to pay with a credit card. And we all know there's a start button, but for me, in in my gas pump, start is about the sixth activity I actually hit. The first thing I put in is a credit card, and I put in um, my zip code and my PIN number and all those things. But from a user orientation, if you don't have user training, that's exactly not intuitive. Or perhaps a better example, I've got a three-and-a-half-year-old daughter that operates my iPad, and she's never um, read the instructions, but she operates that like a ninja um, on attack, where she can navigate through opening um, the the internet interface. She can go to YouTube and play her videos.
1: There, there's, mm-hmm. the,
4: there's the contrast, if you will. A gas pump, which is not terribly intuitive, and you can tell that when we wait in line, it takes some people several minutes to go through that, Versus having a device like an iPad, which is infinitely intuitive to a three-year-old or a 93-year-old who perhaps aren't familiar with conversing with technology. I mean, that really is the concept of user experience. And the thing that I wanted to share, I shared in um, in my workshop, is user experiences are very broad. I mean, we may think about them from an Internet space where we have how we interact with the Internet device um, website, if you will, is it is it is it attractive? And it's not about attractive. It's about what's intuitive. Because, Fran, I, you and me are probably very similar as when we get to a website, within a couple of seconds, we have a reaction to it, whether or not we can find something. So if the website's not intuitive, um, and then also we have to go find something by searching, we already have really not done a good job in terms of how we've made um, this website intuitive. And in terms of the session... Um, The session was very well received. It was highly attended. And a lot of the the people that attended asked me questions about, well, how do we incorporate this in our environment? We've always done deployment-centered, if you will, um, application development. How does this change? Does this take any more time? Is it more expensive? And the answer to all those things is is really it, it, it doesn't have to take more time. It doesn't have to cost more. But the way that we do things now actually costs more. We just don't look at all the additional rework we may do in terms of training um, Tiger teams and redoing the application six months later. But one of the great rules of quality um, that we know is that every time you go away from development um, one level, the cost of fixing a change or a bug increases by one order of magnitude. So as you get to the field... And then, or inside your company for an internet experience, and you're having to redo the application, you're having to redeploy training, you're having to look at that again. You've already spent much more probably than the whole project would cost. But if we really didn't think about things purely as let's let's start the project, let's execute it, let's get it on time, but we're more deliberate and we take the time to do a little bit of research and inform our design with user insights. We are more likely positioned to hit the bullseye the first time, and have applications developed that people find useful and usable, and and love to talk about and perhaps evangelize.
0: Mm. Wow. Now I can see now why uh, Intelligent Communications is part of the <laughs> name of your company. Um, you know, Michael. Within the IT community, um, stepping away from the BDPA conference for a moment, are you personally doing presentations and workshops?
4: Yes, I am. Yes, I am. Um, One of the things, um, before I joined the aquarium, I had my own consulting firm, and certainly one part about building your brand, um, then also doing business development, getting out, networking, speaking at user groups, blogging, writing articles, and things like that. I enjoy doing that. I enjoy the challenge of um, trying to take ideas and concepts and either stimulate thought and discussion or to provide instruction and teach. Um, most recently, w- on a different topic that you mentioned with the first guest, um, in terms of green, um, I was asked to participate in a green IT panel, which I did um, actually for the BDPA Atlanta chapter about two weeks ago. And that was a great topic because we, we took it from just not only green IT, what are opportunities in green IT, how do you get there, but let's look at how we're going from a brown economy, which we are now with fossil fuels, to a green economy with renewable energy. And what are the, what are the opportunities beyond IT in the new green economy? So there are a lot of topics I speak on because of my background. They're very broad, but it's something I enjoy a whole lot for
0: well, I hear that, and um, I know I've had some email communication with Phyllis Coleman, who typically um, accepts the applications and screens the applications for the conferences. And I know that planning will start on that uh, for the 2012 conference in a few months. Um, and It really is great to know that within the BDPA family, we have individuals with varying expertise that are willing to share it. And on the chapter level, that chapters have the opportunity to get current topics discussed um, with expert resources right there from the chapter. Now, I know from a previous uh, iRadio interview, that many of the chapters are now starting to either record entire presentations and or create the five to 15 minute version so that members that weren't able to attend can get the highlights. And that topic of green IT, I would think would be one that other chapters might be interested in. So um, again, I invite our listening audience to think about the topics that were shared tonight, whether or not you have had those topics discussed at your program meetings, and how you might be able to reach out to the three presenters tonight to get more information. Michael, as we close for tonight, I wanted to extend to you uh, again, uh, thank you for being on the show, and just to ask if there was a final thought that you'd like to leave our audience with.
4: Sure, um, and I'll say it this way: first, if anyone wants more information, you can find me on LinkedIn or find me on Twitter at Michael J Davis. But in essence, you know, user experience um, is something that's ubiquitous. There was a there's a great book which I suggest people read. It really talks about how the new economy we're in in terms of services and goods and how experience is a, is, a, is a distinctive one. It's the experience economy I mentioned at the top of the conversation by Pine and Gilmore, but um, I think you'll find that very relevant no matter what you do, but it's essentially this. Um, user, user experience um, is a difference maker in really, in your organization, helping to take, make projects more successful in terms of, increasing user adoption and um, customer experience, employee experience, or e-commerce applications. And the real value of it is uh, there's a technology value, there's a business value, and a monetary value. But for the senior leadership you're trying to justify your projects with, there really is the way um, to, to really generate new business value and demonstrate there's a real powerful return on investment at a time where everyone's looking to cut costs by employing either user experience or user-centered design.
0: Wow. Well, Michael J. Davis, thanks for joining us this evening. We are going to wrap up this special edition of the 2011 National Conference Workshop Presenters. And I do want to say that the three individuals that we interviewed today are examples and of the quality of presenters that are available at each of our conferences. If you haven't done so already, it is not too early to think about setting aside time on your calendar for next year's conference. And I do want to just identify for, identify for the audience who was with us tonight. Our first guest was Jen Zay Scales. He is the Capabilities and Program Manager for HP Enterprise Services and his topic was the value of the cloud in the business technology ecology and Janbe is with the BDPA Atlanta chapter. Our second guest was Edward Clark, Enterprise Architect with Microsoft and his topic was SharePoint 2010 Enterprise Collaboration and Edward is with the BDPA Chicago Chapter. And our final guest <clears throat> was Michael J. Davis, and he is the director of Macquarium Intelligence Intelligent Communications, and his topic was creating business value through user experience, and he is with the BDPA Atlanta Chapter. I'm Fran McNeil, host of BDPA iRadio, We're closing out our show this evening. Have a great week. I don't think we have any hurricanes or any earthquakes planned. So have a super week and join us on Tuesday, September 13th for our next regularly scheduled show.
1: BDPAI Radio linking business, education, and technology showcases IT entrepreneurs, technology experts, computer science academics, and people with a passion for educating our young people in science technology, engineering, and mathematics. BDPA iRadio show is a regular exchange for BDPA members, sponsors, entrepreneurs, educational institutions, and the black community. BDPA iRadio guests link the diverse worlds of business, education, and technology.